I had a conversation with a good friend the other day who said something like, how could you still believe in God when all this is going on? Like, sure. This, this is, this, this virus proves that it's absurd to believe in a good creator, God. Hey, welcome to the Influencing Society podcast, a podcast that's gonna develop your leadership, sharpen your faith, and teach you to influence your world for good and for God. My name is Chris Ensby and I'm the host of the podcast and I have the privilege of sitting here with Dr. Ben Myers. Ben, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Chris, great to be here. Yeah, um, now we've crossed paths a, a few times, more so over the last uh, few weeks and I love your mind, I love the way you think about things. Uh, what are you a doctor in? Well, I, I'm, my doctorate was in literature and theology. Yeah. So I'm an academic specializing really in the interface between Christian thought and other aspects of human culture and human inquiry. And if I remember from one of our conversations, when you first started teaching theology, you weren't qualified in it, it was self-taught, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I never actually studied undergraduate theology. I just became interested in it while I was doing my PhD. And so I was doing a doctorate at the time on 17th century um, English um, Protestantism, yep. and it became more and more and more theological. And uh, straight off the back of that, I ended up teaching theology and having to learn to fill all the gaps. Sure. I'd never thought about Christology or the Trinity until that point. So, yeah, right. so teaching is a great way to learn. So, so what's your background? Did you grow up in a Christian family? Uh, what type of Christian family was it? What's your upbringing that got you to this point? Uh, I grew up in North Queensland and uh, my family attended the church uh, of David Cartledge in Townsville. So it was an AOG church. It was very, I would describe it not just as Pentecostal, but as old school yeah. revivalist, you know? Yeah. Um, um, but I would say the, 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 the strengths and the richness of that type of tradition are very obvious. Probably the biggest weakness that I began to discover for myself once I was out of high school and, and um, beginning to make my own way through the world, um, I hadn't really been taught how to ask questions about faith. I hadn't right. really, I'd, I'd been taught to know the right answer, but not really to explore questions for myself. And, and that, that was the process that got me into thinking about theology. Um, what would you describe yourself as as now? If you could put yourself in a box, are you still the same kind of belief system with arms reaching out one way or the another? another? I think prob it's, it's a slightly hard question to answer, but I think probably my beliefs are even more basic than they used to be. Sure. It's a strange, a strange thing about theology, at least in my experience, thinking deeply for a long time about the basic questions of Christian faith. The effect it's had on me over the past 20 years or so has sort of driven me back towards uh, a real awareness of the of the the great basics of the faith. Yeah. Belief that the most important thing that has happened in my life was my baptism, for example. That's not different from anything that I was presented with as as a young Pentecostal kid in North Queensland, but uh, there's a sense of having big priorities, belief in the saving work of Jesus Christ um, through his death and resurrection. That was every sermon I ever heard growing up, you know what I mean? But the more I've understood it, the more I've realized that that is a major focal, that's not just a message about how to get saved. That is a point that orients the whole of my life. So I, I, I don't know exactly 
if I would still describe myself as an AOG revivalist North Queenslander, probably I wouldn't. Um, but I think the main, the main, um, uh, the, the 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 big ideas of Christian faith that are important to me now are the same ones that I was introduced to yeah. growing up as and, a child. And I'll, I'll probably come around and circle back to that because I, I think in one of your books you you say something very similar that the the, the gospel is not just the foundation you build on, but it's something you go deeper into, which is kind of what you're talking about as well. But before I go into that, um, where we're currently at in our season with coronavirus, with isolation, and uh, everyone kind of wants to know what's going on. And a lot of the question asked is, what is God doing? Like we could give an answer to that, but I'm going to ask you that question. What do you think God's doing in in people, in the world, in the church? What, what's he up to? Obviously, I don't know the answer to that. I don't yeah. think anyone does. All I would say is, Perhaps I could answer it like this. I had a conversation with a good friend the other day who said something like, how could you still believe in God when all this is going on? Like sure. this, this, is, this, this virus proves that it's absurd to believe in a good creator God. Um, and I can see the point and I think there's, there can be a lot of real human um, pain and experience that comes through in a question like that. And I wouldn't wanna discount that, um, that experience at all. But I, I turned it around and said, well, Yes, the virus is one of the difficult things to explain in this world, but there are other difficult things to explain as well. Why is it that little communities of neighbors have been forming these amazing new bonds together? Absolutely. Why is it that um, friends and family gather together around the iPad at the dinner table and in some ways are more connected with friends and families who, who, who live remotely, more connected than ever before? Why is it that, pe that there have been outpourings of generosity towards the needy and the vulnerable in our um, society? Uh, there, there are all these other aspects of human nature that emerge in the midst of a crisis, right. which to me are very, very hard to explain unless you believe that somehow at the deep down bottom of things is a loving personal God who creates us in his image and and makes us into relationship forming machines as it, as it were. Yeah. So I can't explain why the bad things in the world happen um but at the same time I think the the good things in the world that happen and the good that comes out of evil is so remarkable that it cries out for explanation and I would give the name God as as my explanation for that. Yeah. And I guess from what we've seen as well, there's almost like a refocusing voluntarily or involuntary. If people are starting to ask those kind of questions again and, and whether our society was getting too busy or we prioritized the wrong things. Um, I always think C.S. Lewis had so many great quotes because he had so much time to think about it. And I kind of think our society is going back to thinking about some really big foundational questions again. The the why am I here? The how was I put here? What is the reason for suffering? And maybe in the busyness of life, we've, we forgot about that. And so I think actually the questioning and all that is, is quite good mm. in what we're doing. So, um, and on that, like I was talking to you about just before the show, even on our street, someone put the flyers in our letterbox about, hey, join this Facebook group. And um, we, we logged on there and there's our whole street logging on and welcoming people. And now our afternoon walk as a family, we meet all our neighbors and we didn't have that before. There was nothing in our, in our day that had time for that. But now, like you said, communities are, are forming and though they call it social distancing, it's like physical distancing because I've never felt so social in my own neighborhood. So I think that's exceptional as well. Um, in, in your development, so you are 
um, a scholar, I would say, or scholarly in, in what you do. Um, I've always wondered this dynamic between uh, faith and, and knowledge that in your way you said it wasn't just enough of you to accept what you was taught when you were growing up, but you had to understand the why. Um, and in the Bible, both kind of people uh, are used by God. Paul is um, uh, well-taught, he's educated, um, but some of the disciples were just fishermen who learnt on the job. How does how does faith and, and knowing um, relate to each other? How have you found that the, because in this time, there's a lot of content, there's an, a great opportunity to learn and to know, is is that important or is it just more important that we just, just have faith? How does that correlate? I think if I had to choose, I would say, well, of course it's more important to have faith. Um, but to me, that these are not incompatible um, things. It's a bit like saying, what's more important, being born or learning? Well, you need to be born first, <laughs> but once you're born, once you're alive, once, you, once you're in the world, it's natural that you begin to open your eyes with curiosity, begin to ask questions, begin to wonder about who you are and what this amazing world is that you've been thrown into. Um, I would think of faith and knowing in a similar way. Of course, faith comes first and faith, it seems to me is not primarily based on knowledge. There's an act of simple trust. Um, I would say my own process of coming to Christ was a, a, a more like a leap of faith, a, a, an, an act of trust and hope, which thrust me into a new situation. Sure. I mean, there's a good reason why Jesus speaks of being born again. Um, faith can occur as it were out of the blue, but once you're alive in Christ, once you begin to breathe in the atmosphere of, of God, it's only natural that you begin to open your eyes and look around you and think, well, what is this? What's, what's going on in my life and what's going on in the world around me? And how do the things that I believe, um, how, do I, how do I match those things with my experience of everyday life? So for me, there's no, there's no sort of disconnection or contradiction between faith and learning or faith and knowing. It's more that one leads to the other. Um, because I first believe that's what sets me in motion on a process of wanting to understand as well. And as I suggested before, I think f for me at least, the process of questioning doesn't lead me further away from faith. No. It's no almost like drilling down more deeply and realizing, um, dis discovering for myself in a way that I can understand that the things that I was taught as a child were true and were good and were beautiful. Um, you could get by without it, you know what I mean? It's, th th there are, there are um, believers who are relatively satisfied with, with a simple quick overview of their faith and are not terribly worried to think about it, that's fine. But I think the Christian community will always still need to have people who are trying to answer hard questions, who are trying to go deeper so that when you have a crisis, you, you discover, for example, I always thought God was a good creator and now there's a coronavirus. Yeah. Um, a moment like that can, can cause a crisis of faith if no one out there has ever thought about this before, if there's no one you can go to for help in thinking about it. And in fact, on a topic like that, you realize, okay, 
Christians for the past 20 centuries have been grappling with the experience of evil in the world and with evil in creation. Um, I'm not the first one to worry about <laughs> this. Uh, th there are some pretty compelling answers out there. Yeah, that's great. And so in, in Hebrews, I think it's start of chapter 11 or 12, it says you cannot come to God with, unless you know that he is. That kind of sounds like a, a knowledge thing before faith in that in that aspect, right? Or is that is that still the faith? Is that still the hope aspect you were talking about? Yeah, I, I, it's it's true. The act of faith presupposes something, right? Yeah. Um, knowing that God exists, it, it might be pretty minimal. But I would think even that knowledge might be more not so much that it happened first, but that in the act of faith there are certain things that you already know. Um, not that first of all you have to these boxes and know these three things, but in the act of believing, in the act of trusting, um, certain knowledge does break in upon my mind. Um, an, an example is an example is the relation between sin and grace. Which which comes first? Do we first have to know that we're a sinner? in order to reach out for God's grace. There's a whole style of evangelism that says, yes, sure. first of all, a person has to know certain doctrines. You have to know that you're a sinner, that you need forgiveness. Um, but I think for many people, and St. Paul's experience on the road to Damascus, I think fits, fits um, this paradigm. For many people, the first thing you discover is that you are loved and forgiven by a gracious God. And in the very act of being forgiven and loved and accepted, what do I discover? Knowledge breaks in upon my life. Sure. I must have been estranged from God all this time. I must have been a sinner in need of this forgiveness. I must have been unwhole to have, um, I, I, I've experienced this wonderful inner healing. I must have been needing healing all along. Yeah, I'm, not wow. so, I'm not so sure we first of all need knowledge of our plight in order to reach out to God. There can be a simple act of trust and personal connection with God which brings with it a whole chain of consequences in the things that we know and understand about ourselves. And in some way, I think the process of thinking about faith is just that process of beginning by encountering God in Christ and then following the, the long, endless train of consequences mm. from that point. So, so what advice would you give to someone who has found an intellectual roadblock? Say maybe they're dealing with a sickness that has never been healed, yet someone around their life has been healed from it in some way or another. And now they're questioning, you know, obviously in accordance to that, well, this is what I've seen. My experience has dictated this. This is what I know to be true. This is the facts, yet God is supposed to be my healer. And, you know, they may not have faith for that aspect of, of God's character if they got an intellectual block here. Is is your advice to them learn about what other people have done or what's, what's your advice to help them move past that? I think my only true advice, case by case, I might have sure. clear advice, read this, um, think about that. But my exhortation would be patience. The way God relates to us is very rarely all in one moment. Mm. That does, yeah. that can happen, that does happen. Um, but for the most part, how does God relate to us? Over time, in the same way that we relate to one another in friendship or in marriage or in any type of human connection, yes, there can be dramatic moments of encounter in our ordinary lives together, but everything that's most precious to us in human relationships comes through time, yeah, right? Great. 
And I think the way God relates to us, the whole story of the Bible points in this direction. God calls into being a people and then loves them and maintains his faithfulness to them across the centuries. And it's not as if at any given moment, all the answers are clear. Think of Israel's history. You're wandering in the wilderness 40 years. <laughs> sure. If you just, if you just pour, hit pause on history and look at that moment in time, it looks as if God is absent. And in a, in a way he is absent or rather he's against you. God is the one leading them round and round in circles so that they'll never get to their destination. Um, or not never, but not for a long time. If, if you just isolate one moment, it can look as if God is absent or even as if God is leading you sure. into trouble. But looking at just one moment is a very unreliable way of thinking about God's involvement in the world and in our lives. Over time, God has tremendously mysterious and complicated ways of making his faithfulness known to us. Um, think of the experience, just one example, think of the, the terrible experience of grieving that all of us um, go through at some point. There is nothing positive you can say about it. Sure. And if you isolate that moment, it's not just that God is absent, all of the meaning in life, everything that makes life rich has drained away. Any type of justification of, of this experience would be obscene. Mm. Um, and yet grieving is a process that works itself out through time. And many of us could look back years later, not be glad for the loss of a loved one or for, or for traumatic experience, not, not that we rejoice in it, but we're able to see in retrospect the tremendous way in which God has done deep things in our lives that couldn't have been done in any other way. Yeah, well. I, I think God is, I think everything God does in relation to us is marked by patience. We are very impatient in, and, and um, pretty much any sin you ever commit is an act of impatience, right? Right. We always go wrong by wanting things now that are meant to come later. Um, and God knows how to do things in the right order in the right time. So for, for people experiencing this type of crisis, I would say be patient. Yes, look for answers, but don't expect those answers to be immediately transparent to you. There are things as a Christian that you only learn through time. Yeah, well. God's faithfulness, which is like the central theme of the Bible, is something you can only know about once you've experienced over God's time. relationship to you over time. Well, why do you think people live in the moment too much? They take that isolated moment. Is that just something we are doing now in the microwave generation or is, have we always been doing this? Is it, a, is it a result of individualizing faith? Like what's it mean for me rather than looking at a collective perspective of who we are together? Um, why have we progressed along that thought pattern? I suspect it's probably just part of the human condition to want things now. Um, if you look at the way, if you look at the way little children are raised, so many of the most important challenges for parents raising little children is to try and teach them how to defer gratification. Um, right. We, it's there's clearly an inbuilt. Like a, a little baby will will cry now as soon as the baby feels. I mean, you dad, hungry. tell me about this. Uh, oh, yeah, oh teach really? Me, okay. Teach me. Yep. Well, I think your baby will teach you everything you need <laughs> to know. I, you won't need any any tips from me. Um, but it is clearly 
there's a there's an instinctive desire to get things that I want now, and part of becoming part of maturing as a person, a big part of it actually, is just learning how to get what you want later. Um, and so many of the most important decisions that we make in adult life are decisions around, um, uh, for example, if a person decides to go to university, what they're actually saying is, I am willing to endure hardship, financial and intellectual and sleepless nights, I'm willing to endure hardship now for a future reward. Yeah, sure. Um, the so I, I think it's I think it's it's probably an innate problem, and I think as you say, our microwave generation, our freeway generation, our frequent flyer points generation is probably our um, smartphones with their immediate dopamine effects every time you yeah. see another like, where we we have all these ways of getting instant gratification. Um, mm. or at least of feeling as if we're getting instant gratification. It could be that the true things we're yearning for are being constantly deferred while we achieve these- Temporary ones. Lesser and temporary mm. rewards. Um, so I think it's probably a bigger challenge for us today. And I think it certainly affects the way people experience their faith as well. I was talking before about my revivalist AOG upbringing. I think one of the biggest shifts in my thinking um, as, I, as I grew a bit older was in realizing what one of the main, I would even say the main limitation of the type of Christian environment I'd been brought up in was that everything important from God was something that was gonna happen now. Immediately. Yeah, right. every, every church service would be introduced. This is gonna be the most important moment of your life. Yeah, sure. Every sermon was gonna be the message from God <laughs> that's gonna turn it all around. Every prayer someone said for you was gonna be the one that set you free. And over time you realize, well, I, I began to realize actually there is a cumulative effect to these things that is more than just the sum of its parts. Yeah, well. Having people pray for you over many, many years is not just having a, a powerful prayer 100 times. There's a different thing that happens over the long haul. And I began to think that the Christian life is much more ordinary than I had mm. realized before. Ordinary because mm. every day is an opportunity to be open to God's presence, to be um, aware of God's faithfulness, um, and so on. Yeah, well, it's amazing. It's spiritually forming rather than just one impacting moment. I think that's powerful. Um, one last question I wanted to, to, to ask you was with the barrage of content on right now, churches online, everyone's online, every man and his dog has um, a church service on Sunday or a podcast or a live. Um, what framework can you give people so there's this barrage of content coming into them. Some of it's true, some of it's good and helpful, and obviously some of it's misleading. What kind of framework can we put around when we're um, susceptible to this, you know, shy of hard, cold fasting it? <laughs> How can we put a framework around to filter what is good, hold fast to what is true, and kind of push aside the rest that's going to do us damage? I guess all I would say is there is there is much more to a Christian community than content delivery. What the, what the internet is very, very good at, uniquely good at really, is delivering content and curating content. And so there are wonderful opportunities right now. I would see it more as an opportunity. Um, if you've been curious to know what Roman Catholics think about God and the world, go and have a look at the, the message that Pope Francis delivered a couple of days ago 
um, yeah, well. standing alone in that huge church, speaking to all the Christian faithful about the current crisis. It's it's a powerful and compelling um, and moving interpretation of the message of Jesus for us here today and, and, and a powerful call not to be afraid, but to put your trust in Jesus, to take to take the step, the leap of trust like we were talking about yeah. before. So there's an opportunity to learn more things than you would normally have learned by going along to your church every week. But what we're talking about there is content, right? I can, I can understand what Pope Francis thinks about the current crisis. The main purpose of a Christian community though is not content delivery, but human formation through relationships, through, again, through time. I'm sorry to keep harping on about this, but what is a Christian community for? It's, it's, it's more like a family where you have people who are committed to being with you over time, yeah. whether you deserve it or not on a particular day. And you're committed to being with them, whether they've deserved it or not on a given day. It's all of, it's all of the annoying parts about Christian community that make it so rich and so important for us, right? that they're the parts where we're actually learning. They're the parts where we're actually seeing the surprising ways in which God can be at work in our lives. Long-winded answer, but what I really think is the, the online environment is giving people a way of remaining connected to their own Christian community. And I, I would say that's the main that's the main thing to do with it, you know? Stay committed to these people who who already know you, who already understand your yeah, faults. Yeah, great, great. Um, so that's all I would say. I wouldn't worry about the bad stuff. I would just stay plugged in to your own local community. And if, and if you have one thing that stays on from this season that changes the way church is done post, because if we just go back to the exact way things were done, I think that would be a, a tragedy as well. We need to grow through this season. Would that be your main point that if, a greater sense of connection comes out of this, that would be the win? Or what's the one thing you hope would stay from this season into the next? I think the greater sense of connection is, I think that's quite likely that that will come out of it. I think a sense of the the very practical ways in which a church community can serve and support the local neighborhood. Yep. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a moving... Like there have always been needy, vulnerable, vulnerable people in our communities, but suddenly in the current crisis, those people become visible in new ways. The elderly couple two doors down from me, what they were still there before. I just suddenly noticed though that they have trouble walking, that they're quite old. I, I for the first time, I wonder how they get their groceries. Yeah, Do sure. they have to go sure. out, or is someone helping them? I, I think that sense of of making the needy members of our community more visible. It would be wonderful if that was a lasting effect. And just one other thought, um, I, wonder if, I wonder if churches in the West in, in recent decades have become, I don't wanna overgeneralize, but I wonder if at times we've become a bit complacent, a bit triumphalist, a bit a bit, a bit of a sense of um, being too sure, too certain that we know where the future's going, that God is always on our side, that things are always working out in a way that satisfies our wishes um, and at kind of pumping up people's expectations that church is about feeling great and about being on top of things. And the, 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 
the moment in history that we are living through right now is a powerful reminder that actually the most fundamental things in human life, many of the most fundamental things, are things that are far beyond our control. Yeah, That's not a direct kind of theological lesson to learn, but it's a good reminder if, if our church life has become a bit too, do you know what I mean? Like a bit too polished, a bit too Absolutely. certain, a bit too slapping each other on the back. Um, we ourselves, as individuals and our whole society, our whole civilization are more vulnerable than we realized. Yeah, There are many things that we take for granted that can collapse. And we'd forgotten that because things have been going fine for so long. And I think somehow that is important for churches to realize as well. The cry of salvation that comes through in the gospels, This that in, in the ancient world, you, you read the authors of the New Testament, they just take it for granted that life is really, really difficult. Yeah, sure. That, that there are many ways in which you can die unexpectedly. That you never, you, you quoted the letter to the Hebrews before, that in this world, we never fully possess the things that we hope for. This world remains mysteriously difficult, mysteriously resistant to our will and our wishes. And yet through faith, we turn this difficult life into a pilgrimage. We turn our experiences of suffering and mortality into an opportunity to seek God and yeah, to well. wait for God. So I would say that sense of waiting on God, not expecting God always to be here now doing everything I want, but being willing to live by trust, being willing to live by hope, which is basically about patience. I'm holding on to God through time in spite of this world, not because this world is rewarding me and treating me so well. Wow, some gold in there. I'm gonna have to re read back and, and listen to this podcast afterwards. Um, I think we're out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to chat through your A-grade cycling days. I was interested to see how uh, what level you competed at, but that's really interesting as well. Maybe next time on the podcast. That is such a rich and uh, <laughs> multifaceted topic that we'll need an entire episode for that one, Chris. Will you wear your spandex on the podcast for us? Certainly. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, if, if you can do it remotely, I'll even go out for a ride and just connect to you via Zoom while we while we ah, Happy to do it. I'll hold you to it. Ben, thanks for being on the podcast today. And for everyone, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. We hope you've learned today something that sharpens your faith, something that you can take away that's really gone deep in the soil of your heart to change the way you do life, to change the way you look at God and to help you influence your world for good and for God. We'll see you next time. <laughs>